What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Eric B. Welcome back to the show. On this episode, I was joined by two badasses. Actually, I joined them in their podcast, so I was a guest on their show, which is called The Train 89 Project. We have Michael Zuna. Say what's up, Mike. What's up, guys? What's up, Eric? And we have Rob Silver. Okay, voila. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was a pretty cool a pretty cool episode. Mike, just really quick, a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then Rob, we got you as well. Yeah, my name is Michael Suna. I am the owner and one of the coaches here at Train 89 in Coconut Grove. Um, done a couple of things in the fitness industry here in Miami through I Am CrossFit, Crush Games, Formula X, and we just recently launched the 89 Project. In, on the gym side of it, we launched the 89 Nutrition and um, Performance Science Department, which is ran and directed by Eric Bustillo, that <laughs> Check you guys it. might know. Um, so we're excited about that. We're launching that now in January of 2019. <laughs> so we got a bunch of things going on in order just to provide value and education to our audience and our members. Awesome. Thank you. Just quick side note. Mike was responsible, or so was told to me, because I didn't know too much about this, for kind of like making CrossFit what it is in <laughs> Miami. But anyway, Rob, what's up oh. with you? Hey, yeah, no, Mike is part of the originator of CrossFit in South Florida, in Miami. He was the uh, the funding, well, he might not have been the funding, but one of his partners was the funding behind our CrossFit Vita Brickle team to the games back in 2010, uh, which I was a happy part of, along with my wonderful team of five other individuals. Nice. But since that point, when I was 20 years old and probably a little bit of an asshole, um, I have gotten my... <laughs> my master's in strength and conditioning i am an adjunct instructor at florida international university and now do a lot of work on the certification and education side of things in the fitness industry yeah gotta love it so you see two total badasses so what you're gonna hear today is essentially the first part of at least a two-part series on you know my interview we did a little bit of q and a's posted some questions on social media and answered them and then we kind of go down into the the research and a little bit more information. So enjoy this show and be on the lookout for part two. See ya. Wu-Tang forever, who rhyme better? We too clever, the boom baps back harder than ever. R.I.P. O.D.B. coming through like killer B. Ever since I heard and at 36 and 9. All right, what's up, guys? So here we are today with Rob Silver and Eric Bustillo. What's up, Rob? Hey, Mike. How's it going? It's going well, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. Well, we have a guest for the first time today, which will hopefully be a uh, very permanent guest here, not only in our facility, but on our podcast. Eric Bustillo, what's up, Eric? Everything's good. Happy to be here. We're happy to have you, man. Yeah. Let, Eric, let's kick this off. So today we're going to do let's a do rant, it. and our, our audience already knows that we do quickies, which are 15 or 20 minutes. And then we do rants that are somewhere between 60 to 90 minutes. So I'm pretty sure we're probably going to use up that whole uh, that whole time, 60 to 90 minutes when it comes to these questions. So our audience knows what we did this past week on my Instagram. I posted a Q&A type thing. Basically said, send in your questions for um, Eric, Rob, and myself revolving nutrition and uh, supplementation, which is pretty much all that we got 
There's a couple of them on how we get swole, but we'll talk about that later on. <laughs> and we got about 15 questions, so we're going to kick this off. But before we do, Eric, if you could give us just a quick little bio, if you will. Yeah. Your history about yourself. Um, what's your background? Where are you from? And then what's your, uh, what's your experience in this field and where you're at now and what you're doing for your livelihood? Cool. I, um, my name is Eric Bustillo. I'm six foot one. There I like go. long walks on the Very beach. Sexy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I um, I was born and raised in Miami. Went to school at FIU, Proud Panther, Florida International University. I studied dietetics and nutrition there. Just a quick side note: a dietitian and a nutritionist are not the same thing. The, to be a registered dietitian, you have to go through university schooling, supervised internship. You go through the internship and then take your boards in the end just like nurses or doctors or you know whoever gets some kind of a license and accredited certification you have to take a big test in the end uh and not you know like the local hey i did an online cert and i'm a nutritionist let me be your health coach not to discredit them but you know in defense of rds you have to go to school and go through this rigorous schoolwork and pass your boards hopefully the first time and then you're a registered dietitian that's good to know yeah yeah because you know a lot of people say yeah i'm a nutritionist Absolutely. and and that's a much easier word to understand than dietitian i had no idea what a dietitian was until my brother planted the seed and he was like why don't you become a registered dietitian at first i was like what the heck is a registered dietitian and then i did some investigating and then i mean it's a wrap from there so, but I don't think a lot of people know that. I think that if oh, it, yeah. it goes hand in hand, when they say nutritionist or registered dietitian, they think it's the same level of yeah, it's the same thing in education, but it's not at all. Okay. It's not the exact same thing. Now, like I said, not to discredit people who are either health coaches or they're just personal trainers that know about nutrition. Like, cool, like you know about it, and maybe you have a lot of firsthand experience. And one thing, as I'm sure the three of us would agree with is experience goes such a long way. If anything, it kind of like trumps everything else uh, to an extent. And um, people with a lot of experience will help somebody lose weight. And to that person that lost weight, they're a miracle worker. Um, but it still doesn't mean that they're technically allowed to. So in the state of Florida, to give one-on-one -on -one nutrition consultations and an actual meal plan, if you will, and go into details with all that stuff and medical nutrition therapy, you have to be a registered dietitian. Yeah, there are legal differences between the two on, you know, what what is the general scope and practice of registered dietitian versus someone who's not. Um, and it's, it's not a straight line. It is actually murky. And I know there is ongoing lawsuits where the registered dietitian board and um, lawyers for other people are, are currently trying to define what is you know, what are registered dietitians allowed to say that other people are not allowed to say? And, and it's almost a, a freedom of speech issue with mm -hmm. work, you know, what is defined as, as professional speak. There's a more legal term for that, but that's, it's ongoing. It is, mm -hmm. it is interesting. Yeah. And then it's kind of crazy because now you risk, okay, this person is giving nutrition advice and maybe they know, or maybe they don't know that this person has chronic kidney disease. Yep. And now what happens, right? So 
Luckily, we have an RD here now that's yeah. going to help us answer these questions. <laughs> yep, that's <laughs> so <me>. we're excited. <laughs> uh, so just to kind of fast forward through that, I, uh, I've been working in the industry for quite a few years now, and I, I'm certified in sports nutrition. I'm certified in personal training as well. Uh, I'd like to go into detail about the science of the individual. So looking at things like blood work uh, or different metabolic testing to help me better prescribe a nutrition or a fitness lifestyle for the individual uh, and specializing in supplementation. I have a lot of experience in research and clinical studies, medical nutrition therapy, weight loss, weight gain, athletes, performance, disease control. I mean, you name it. I can probably go on for days talking yeah. about all that stuff. And you're also a certified personal trainer? I am. As well? Yeah, through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Uh, and certified in sports nutrition through the International Society of Sports Nutrition. And you work with FIU football team? I worked with FIU football for about a year and a half. Okay. Uh, and that was, it was fun. It gives you a lot of perspective on trying to help that college age individual. Uh, in this case, it was college age males from different backgrounds. Some come from either a more affluent background. Some come from more so inner city background. And at the same time, looking at how the budget of a school impacts it. Uh, now, not to discredit FIU in any way, but the budget doesn't match, let's say, Alabama's budget. Probably didn't match what we had at UM for their nutrition programs. Yeah. So if you think about that, it's like, okay, what can I recommend to these guys and how can I help them understand, and this could be a whole podcast on its own, mm -hmm. how can I help them understand, all right, you want to use that money that's allotted to you for optimal nutrition purchases as opposed to the tattoo that you want, right? right. And some of the guys were like, yeah, whatever you tell me, I'm going to do. Other guys were like, yeah, whatever, bro. I think it's quite interesting because I was one of those kids, at, mm. you know, in between the ages of 18 and 22, and it was pretty much just gain weight and I don't care how you did it. And we did not have a nutritionist or registered dietitian, yeah. or registered dietitian on board to kind of help guide us. It was basically here is, you know, CVI, which is our, our dorms that we lived in and open cafeteria and just eat as much as you possibly can if that's what your goal is. Um, but. Talk about macros back then. I didn't know. I knew about counting calories. I was eating 7,200 calories a day, mm. but I wasn't counting macros. I wasn't on that path, and I wasn't, you know, I didn't care about anything that we talk about these days when it comes to gluten or vegetable oils or so on and so forth. It was just eat, eat, eat. I would set my alarm at 3 o'clock in the morning to have Oreos and a weight gainer shake just to put on weight. But we didn't have <laughs> yeah. anybody guiding us. I'm like, oh, maybe you're doing it wrong. Maybe you don't want to eat all that fat or so on and so forth, or your, your protein is a little bit under what you're weighing right now. But so... That's something that I'm really interested in. And I think a lot of the subjects that we talk about could be a whole podcast. So oh, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll push <laughs> That's for sure. We'll push right on to do this. So what do you do nowadays? You provide uh, services to personal clients. You're not coming on board with us here at the at the gym, training nine. Yeah, I uh, I do you know, working for myself now, um, it's essentially more of like a, a concierge nutrition, mm -hmm. if you will, where I have my one on one patients, clients. I'll do some personal training as well. But, you know, there's a lab that I work with that I can look at some blood work, very detailed stuff from, you know, different, let's say, hormones or cardiometabolic markers, micronutrient deficiencies. And I also, I use a machine called an InBody to measure body fat and muscle mass and just 
guiding and coaching individuals there and also doing a lot of lectures and presentations and whatnot. So staying staying pretty busy. Yeah. Which if okay. anyone has any questions on any of that, submit it to us, either Mike or the Train 8-9. And what's, how do people get a hold of you, Eric? Uh, they could reach me via social media. That's a pretty easy one. And it's at Eric Bustillo, E-R-I-K-B-U-S-T-I-L-L-O. And there's also email, which is ericthedietitian at gmail.com. That's E-R-I-K, the dietitian, D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N at gmail.com. Okay. And we'll put all that in the show details and stuff like awesome. that on how to get a hold of you. So, Rob, you ready to jump right into it? Yes. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm going to kick off with a question that I had on on uh, one of the video posts that I had up on there. And it was from a female. And she said is, how does someone figure out their calories slash macros per day? So I'm sure there's a ton of different formulas that vary at you know, slight levels. Um, how would somebody general just try to figure out, okay, this is how many calories I need and this is the macronutrient breakdown that I would use? So generally speaking, the easiest way, if you wanted to do it for yourself, you can just go onto Google and you can look up, you know, how many calories should I eat in a day? You can look up different equations, things like the Harris-Benedict equation. There's the Mifflin-St-Dior, which over time they've found that that's potentially the closest one to getting BMR, which is basal metabolic rate. So for those of you that don't know, that's how many calories you burn just existing in a day. Uh and so, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Can, can you explain why some of those are more accurate than others? Because it's some of the variables that they take in change, you know, some, some equations just take your, your age and your, your weight, some yep. factor in some other variables. So you want to look for equations that use. Yeah. So some of them will look at things like lean body mass. And it's interesting because Mifflin St. Dior, uh, that one, it was developed, I, I want to say it was in the early 1900s, if I'm not mistaken. And even to this day, they still utilize it as one of the the top ones to calculate things like BMR. Which lean body mass is so important when you're trying to calculate BMR, resting metabolic rate, because that is basically what you're doing is you're figuring out your fat mass. And then because we don't count that when we're figuring out our, our resting metabolic rate, you throw out your fat mass, and then it's the rest of your body, the part of your body that is lean, and that's what we're doing to figure out how many calories you're burning in a day. So understanding what how many pounds of your, your body is fat is important for this. Yeah, no, most definitely. Now, it also comes back to the, I guess we can say the, the practicality of everything because, yeah, I recently got the in-body to be able to measure body fat and muscle mass and to your point, if we have muscle mass or fat mass, right, we can figure one or the other out, then that allows us to be much more accurate with recommendations. But now if somebody maybe can't afford to do the in-body or the DEX or whatever it is, that's where something like the Mifflin St. Ewer would be beneficial because it doesn't factor in your lean body mass. It's basically a calculation that uses height in centimeters, weight in kilograms, and then different factors that essentially is a part of the equation, like multiplying by this number, subtracting by that number, and it gives you uh, a BMR. When you have the lean body mass, you can get a little bit more accurate because now you know what's muscle and what's fat. And then that obviously helps as far as the metabolic activity and understanding how many calories are being burned. So it really depends what we have access to. So 
going back to answer her question, you know, I would say the easy route, go online and find one. If anything, Googling Mifflin St. Your, and that's Mifflin, M-I-F-F-L-I-N, St. S-T, and then your is J-E-O-R, if I'm not mistaken, and doing it from there. Um, now, if you can get a little bit more accurate, like working with a professional or something along those lines, then, I mean, by all means, use one instead. Most definitely. Yeah. So it's it would behoove somebody if they have the means and uh, the finances in order to hire a registered dietitian, it'll behoove them to go that route as opposed to doing online calculations because yeah. there's so many other factors that that RD could take into consideration to give them a more accurate number along with the guidance and coaching to get them there, like how to actually apply this because this is another obstacle that a lot of these participants find is, okay, now I know my numbers, now what? What's the next step? Mm -hmm. Like the actual application of weighing and measuring their food in order to get to it. Then the subsequent questions of how many times a day and when should I eat and so on. So this is why it's so important <laughs> to have a registered dietitian. Um, again, alluding to your point, there's levels to this. So somebody that's never actually followed some sort of quote-unquote diet, okay, step one is just figure out your numbers and do the best that you can. And maybe 90 days from now when you figure that out, maybe now it's time to take the next step when you figured out how important this is or you're not seeing the results you had, you wanted, now maybe reaching out to a registered dietitian, sitting down with them and getting the calculations, which leads me to my next question. Um, could you name some of the variables or, or what it is that you do in your practice as opposed to somebody going online? So let's pretend, hypothetically speaking, Jill Smith went on, she got her calculations, she did it for 90 days, she lost a little bit of weight because now instead of eating 4,000 calories, she realized that she's only supposed to eat 2,200. She comes and sits with you. Can you kind of give me a like just an overview scope of what it is that you would do to Jill? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I would look at things like, again, assuming that she is able to, looking at blood work is going to be an important factor, looking for certain deficiencies. And this is even more so from not just body composition and weight loss, but also from overall health. I want to look and see, okay, is there anything from a medical nutrition therapy standpoint that I should be recommending? less fat, more fat, are there certain genetic markers and those things. I'll also go ahead and look at their percentage body fat and muscle mass. And then of course, working with a professional gives you the right guidance in the sense of making changes when necessary. So sometimes it might be something like, all right, you know, it's been a couple of months and we haven't changed the numbers, but we're still reaping the benefits. We're still seeing the results. I'm a firm believer of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And then when it does quote unquote break, how do we fix it and what changes can we make? So a lot of it is assessing as time goes by, as certain bumps in the road happen and whatnot, knowing what to do and when to make certain changes, change their caloric needs, changing their macronutrient numbers, adjusting it. And another thing that's important to understand is when you work with a professional, they should be able to tailor it to you in a way where we know that, and I'm going to use this as an example, we know that for fat loss, and that tends to be the goal for a lot of people, we shouldn't overconsume calories. So first and foremost, burn more than what you consume. The next important factor is going to be how much protein are you consuming? You want to make sure you're getting the optimal amount of protein. After that, it's kind of like the carbs and the fat don't matter from a body composition standpoint, right? And of course, I'm not going to go down the 
rabbit hole of the individual and maybe someone responds better or worse to carbs or fats and all of that. But if we know that, let's say I know someone has a preference for carbs over fat. I want to make sure that their caloric number for the day is where it should be. I want to make sure that they're getting an optimal amount of protein without it getting to the point of discomfort because now I also don't want to help breed some kind of food disorder, right? And so it's important. This is the, These are the things that go into the registered, at least Eric, the dietitian's right. thought process because I can't speak for all dietitians. Um, so once I consider all of that, I'm like, okay, this man or woman prefers carbohydrates. Maybe I'll give them a little bit more carbs as opposed to fat or vice versa. If they prefer fat, cool, go more on the fat route, preferably not too much saturated fat. This is kind of my psychology. And then maybe not too much of the carbohydrates. So a lot of it really is the the individual. Uh, and I would say just with that alone, you're getting a lot from working with an individual as opposed to an individual professional, right? A registered dietitian as opposed to just finding it online. But you could also figure it out on your own. But having somebody to help you out is always yeah. good, you know? And having someone to tell you that it's okay to enjoy foods that you like and help you with the portions there is is going to be news that a lot of people might not be expecting. They're like, Yo, it's okay for me to, to bias towards carbohydrates if that's what I like more because if they're not psychologically happy, they're not going to follow this program and they're not going to be successful, right? It, you have to play into that, telling them, you know, figuring out what their favorite foods are that that's going to remind them of home over the holidays, but then maybe working with them on getting them variations of those foods that's going to be healthier is stuff there. You can say, hey, that's fine. We can work that into your program. And they're going to feel good about it. And you're going to make sure that, A, you're tracking the numbers to get them to where they need to be. So huge benefit there of working with someone that can provide that feedback for you. Yeah. And it also helps the fact that I love Oreos and pizza and I make sure all of my patients and clients know that it's okay to eat these quote unquote bad foods, right? Side note, there's no such thing as bad foods. It's not you know inherently bad for you. But at the same time, understanding that the poison's in the dosage. That's something when I give presentations, I stress that out. I'm like, if I want you all to walk away with anything today, the poison's in the dosage. Yeah. I, I feel like we could go on a podcast about everything that we talk about. And I'm kind of putting my foot on the, on the brake here to move on from question to question. So um, I think that was a great start. Rob. Yes. Do you have the next one? For Our us? next question. We're going to switch it up a little bit here. I'm cutting weight. Should I be on creatine? More than likely, yes. And it depends on the dosage as well. Uh, if you're taking creatine, it should be, one, it should be creatine monohydrate. So whatever they tell you in the store, don't believe them. Just Why? Because creatine monohydrate, it's the most bang for your buck. And from my science background it's the most studied and most effective so if you're going to tell me take creatine hydrochloride or ethyl ester or whatever names they're going to be coming out with not to say that they're bad but i might as well go with the one that i know is pretty affordable and thousands of studies let me say hundreds just to be safe but i'm pretty sure it's up in the thousands of studies have shown that creatine monohydrate has benefits i mean if anything no effect, which we know that's not what the science shows. And there's much more plus to get out of it, right? More benefit. Correct. With, 
creatine monohydrate, it's not that the more processed, more manufactured, more quote-unquote efficient forms of creatine are not going to work. They just might not be work at the effectiveness that's worth the price tag. Exactly. So we know that creatine monohydrate is going to, the number one benefit of, of creatine that we know is, is improvements in strength and power, improvements in force output for power athletes. Yeah. My first question back at that individual is why are you cutting weight? Right? Sure. Is it someone who's trying to lose weight or is it someone who's trying to cut weight for a weight class sport? That's going to be a very different situation because creatine has that side effect of water retention. Right? We know that that is an association of, of creatine is that there will be water retention. If they're trying to dehydrate themselves as well to lose weight, that's an environment that I don't want to put any athlete in. Right, Because they're dehydrated, but then they're also taking a supplement that's going to take water away from some other sources. They might have some negative side effects there. But at the same point, if it's a wrestler, wrestling's all about power output. We think it's about endurance. It's about power output. So if you can safely lose weight without dehydrating yourself while maintaining some level of creatine supplementation to maintain power output, now you're going to have a better blast double when you need to go get that takedown in the second or third period mm -hmm. versus if you didn't. So that that's the huge question to me is why are they trying to actually they cut weight cut versus weight. lose weight, right? Yeah, when somebody that says makes me cut. think. That makes me think wrestling. That makes me think that the weight class sport, athlete, right. mm -hmm. Olympic right. weightlifting, exactly. which Olympic weightlifting, yeah, you could see it being that. That's a different. It is a weight class sport. You need to make your weight class. That's all about power output, right? So yeah. if you can take a supplement that improves power output, which would be creatine, why not? The why not would be what? How much are you cutting weight? Do you know how to effectively cut weight? If you put on a sauna suit and go outside for a run in South Florida or go sit in a sauna, that's going to dehydrate you. I would not recommend taking a supplement such as creatine if that's how you're cutting weight. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. And Rob, either of you could elaborate on this when you were talking about the actual mechanism of creatine. So can you just go over briefly what does actually creatine do? You talk about pulling weight, but some of our audience members might not actually understand what creatine does yeah so so creatine a lot when we when we if you listen to some of our prior podcasts we've talked about what fuels muscle contractions and on our shortest time scale when we look at three quote in the textbooks three seconds or less atp adenosine triphosphate creatine can pair with phosphate to form creatine phosphate which is a stored form of phosphate that will fuel indirectly exercise bouts <clears throat> lasting three to 15 seconds a little bit longer, a little bit less, right? That's We're looking at textbook numbers there, textbook variables. But creatine allows our muscles to store this phosphate that we will then use for power output, for force production, right? So if we have more creatine, that means we're able to store more phosphate, more phosphagen, which means that we'll have a greater capacity of maintaining a higher power output, a higher force output, or lifting a heavier weight for longer, right? Instead of only lasting for 12 seconds, maybe we can last for 14 seconds. Right. We're talking about lifting weights, not right. other stuff, guys. Um, with you know, so, and not only is it the single effort, it is the repeatability. Right, it's all about being able to do something once, twice. Right, think about being a wide receiver or a cornerback. You run the fly route the first time to tire the cornerback. You run it the second time to tire the cornerback, and then you do the what looks like it's going to be a fly route, but then you do your post or you do your slant across the middle, and now you're open, and now you've just turned. You know, you tired out the cornerback, and now you're open scoring a touchdown. The repeatability of that creatine phosphate has the potential, or creatine as a supplement has the potential to improve that. So there are direct benefits in sports performance with our power sports with creatine supplementation. We know it works. The cutting weight part is what always gives me hesitancy because I've done that. I was a high school wrestler. I know what it's like to cut weight. It sucks. Mike, I, I don't know if you were cutting weight when you wrestled or... No, I was gifted where I didn't have to cut weight. <laughs> but I saw those guys suffer <laughs> through that. 
it's not a good situation right. and people do it not the right way right right and and you don't want you don't want to risk the body that way another thing here is is when you take too much creatine it, it gives you the shits mm. right it, especially if it's not dissolved if you're taking too much creatine it's going to cause stomach indigestion i don't want any athlete walking on to especially wrestlers wearing a singlet right. walking onto the mat when they're worried about <laughs> blowing out of their butt right that's completely different from sports performance but it's all about sports performance in the sense that now you have that situation yeah and, and just to kind of tap on one of the things that you said you said two parts you said you could add more weight and you could add more reps and that ultimately leads to strength gains and hypertrophy so the more weight that you could put on the bar mm-hmm. and the more times you could perform it the end result could be muscle hypertrophy if that's what you're looking for or more strength so that's the reason i jumped back on creatine two weeks ago i'm back onto my weight gain phase now especially now during the miami winter um and i always use creatine in order to lift heavier in order to build more muscle and more hyper or hypertrophy is the end goal here and so, i know i've had had colleagues who said that when they were um doing the nutrition doing the post-workout smoothies for college football teams they would dump creatine into the smoothie makers yeah no, something so else with with creatine is that it it's think of it as a cellular hydrator, right? So what it does is it helps people think that creatine is just water weight. Technically, they're right, but that's how muscles also grow, right? By keeping water in the muscle cells. So creatine helps out with that. So it could in a way potentially even help with hydration and not on the oh man i'm so thirsty level more from a a cellular standpoint muscular speaking so when i have endurance athletes i shouldn't say creatine because then i'm gonna get big no not really you're not training to get big and you're not eating to get big so going back to that original question most definitely my and i just jumped in to answer the question but the first real question is what are your goals or why are you looking to do this then it's more about okay how can i adjust their nutrition and can i keep them on the creatine because if i can then i most definitely will and from what we've seen as far as side effects of creatine again the individual is the individual that we can never take it away but people will say some ridiculous things like roid rage I'm sorry, creatine is not a steroid. No, that was a rumor in, in high school. Yeah. I remember is when someone started taking creatine, they were like, oh, he's going to get creatine roid rage. Yeah, yeah. And people still say that. Like yeah. the media will put out a news Moms headline. Moms will say that. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. Um, and dads. <laughs> so you have roid rage. You have acne, baldness. Uh, I mean, you name it, right? The only proven side effect in quotation marks of creatine is weight gain. Why? Because it helps with putting on lean body mass. So you're gaining maybe a little bit of water into the cells and your muscles are growing in size. But that's not always the case because I've had people lose weight who are taking creatine. We just we got to make sure that the diet is right. appropriate. And the dosage. Well, right. most definitely. Dosage. Like the loading phase, that's not... Yeah. You don't need to load on creatine unless you're trying to get as fast as possible results in the next like week or two. I load. I, I load only one, I'm old school, and two, because <coughs> I do want to saturate my muscles as quickly as possible. I'm a little impatient when it comes to that. So I do load. <laughs> um, and then I go to my five grams. Which, what is your loading? 
how much? Uh, fifteen to twenty grams a day. Pretty pretty standard, and then going down to that maintenance of five grams. Five. And I've seen yeah. I've seen recommendations of two to three if your goals are not necessarily strength and power athletes. So endurance or just general health, two to three grams per day can have an impact. Yeah, right. half to one teaspoon. Which, if you don't like supplements, foods that are high in creatine, it's going to be your red meats. Yeah. Pretty much. I don't want to pin either of you against the wall, but just a very quick answer to this. If you don't, if a person does not have a pre-existing condition, a kidney condition, kidney or liver, is creatine bad for them in the studies that you've read? No. This is what I get all the time, right? Oh, it's bad. It damage kidney damage to hurt your kidneys, Mm-mm. liver. No. Okay. So they don't have to worry about it unless they have some pre-existing condition. Correct. Ac- excess protein. You'll probably find more research that supports excess protein having kidney or liver damage compared to creatine. Copy. Hi, Robert. Our next question, sticking with the supplements, what is a good multivitamin for women? Something that provides some energy. Okay, so I would ask them a question, and I would say, what what is your goal? Again, I, I would ask them that as the first thing, first and foremost. Then, as far as an actual brand and all of that, there's not just one brand that I would swear by, right? So it's not just going to be, all right, you have to take this brand just because, you know, X, Y, and Z. There are a few things that I would tell this individual to look for. One, if it is a woman, they do sell some that are tailored for women that might have some kind of uh, iron supplementation in there as well. That's a very general women's supplement. Uh, or women's Which, mineral that they should take. Because of the menstrual cycle. Is because of the menstrual cycle. Require, yeah, why RDA is higher in women for, for iron. Exactly. And, and then women are also less likely by population studies to eat red meat, so they don't consume as much iron in their diet naturally as, as men do, which as is men. one of the reasons why women and iron supplementation is much more of a thing. Yep. So then it would bring up another question. What's your age? Should I really be taking iron? Have you had recent blood work done? Um just a quick response to that would be maybe taking some kind of a B complex or like a methylated B complex to help with energy because that was the second part of the mm-hmm. question. That could potentially help out with that. But if you're looking for a good multivitamin or just supplements in general, there are certain tags that you want to look for where it says uh, something like GMP good manufacturing practices, right? These are little labels or, or certificates or stamps of approval that you want to look for. Which, Mike, when you had Formulex, what were some of those <coughs> stamps of approval that you are aware of, not necessarily had on Formulex, right. but I know that you tried to have the, yeah, the we went purest to a product. GMP facility, GMP and FDA approved facility. So okay. these facilities that we were making our product from, they were actually, they had these certifications themselves. Which especially if you're being drug tested for some reason, Correct. you need to do that because as we'll touch on, the supplement industry is very unregulated. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, well, the, the supplement technically... The supplement industry is regulated just much more loosely than pharmaceuticals. And because if you're looking at medications, pilot study, this it's in phase one, two, whatever. It takes years for it to get, you know, pushed through and then, okay, it's accepted. With supplements, it's much more, it's easier for it to get pushed through. And then you have other companies that might not practice the way that they should it's harder for the fda to be able to track down these companies that are putting sugar inside of a supplement that should be i don't know 
iron or you know whatever whatever supplement in this case so it's a it is regulated but much more loosely now that's why you want the let's say the bscg certification bad substance control group nsf safer sport uh, informed choice the gmp usp these are all different stamps of approval that can help you make a more conscientious choice as far as what supplements you you should be taking. And then we would get down into the nitty gritty of, okay, what does it actually contain? The nice thing about a general multivitamin, multimineral is that it covers a broad spectrum. And for going back to this individual's question, is there a vitamin D deficiency, right? Is there anemia present? Do you have some kind of methylation issue, right? That's a genetic factor that doesn't allow the body to process what would be considered normal folate, one of the B vitamins, and that could affect your energy level. So it goes, you know, with nutrition, it's never a, a black or white answer. There's shades of gray pretty much always and forever. Uh, but those are some things that I would recommend to, to look at. And then, you know what, when in doubt, you know, find at least one of those stamps of approval on a multivitamin and then just go ahead and buy that one. Great. Great answer. Sticking with the, uh, the supplement theme here, it's what people's questions tend to be because inherently we see that people are looking for a quick fix to a lot of things, but nothing <laughs> wrong, keep the supplement questions coming because it gives us good good uh, material, good content here. What do I take for knee pain? Knee pain. See a doctor, first and foremost. See what it is that is bothering you. See if they could come down to the root cause of it. And maybe you know, you know, I did this lift or I hit it or an injury from when I was a kid. As far as supplements go, taking something like the, what's it called? The type 2 collagen, it could be beneficial. Glucosamine could potentially be beneficial. At, at worst, it's going to do nothing. At best, it might help alleviate some pain or help with some movement. So glucosamine... Uh, MSM and chondroitin, sometimes they're sold all together. But that wouldn't be a bad combination along with the type 2 collagen. From a nutritional standpoint, we have to also evaluate, well, are you overweight? Because that could potentially cause it. Uh, is there enough muscle mass supporting that area? You know, working with an exercise specialist or an exercise physiologist or a really good personal trainer or strength coach that can help assess or even a physical therapist, obviously, that maybe they could assess and see all right, you're moving wrong. You need different shoes, like, you know, things along right, those lines. But from, chain, yeah. yeah, but from a supplement standpoint, I would say the type 2 collagen, glucosamine, MSM, and chondroitin. And, um, and yeah. It could be an inflammation issue. If Most they go definitely. to the doctor and they're like, listen, your, your knee's intact, it just could be inflammation, or you some you have some kind of itis going on, um, <clears throat> reduction of, of inflammation. Does fish oil help with that? Fish oil, it, it wouldn't hurt to take it. Okay. Now, I don't know how much it would help as far as alleviating pain, but fish oil is an anti-inflammatory with the omega-3s that are, that are consumed with the omega-3 supplementation. Something else to consider that might also help is a curcumin or a turmeric supplement that might potentially help with that too. Natural anti-inflammatories. Exactly. And that, you know, I saw a study once that it showed individuals respond as well as if they were taking uh, an NSAID, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, like uh, Advil, if you will, or ibuprofen. Uh, and then, of course, you also can potentially try 
some kind of, you know, like a, a CBD supplement to see if that could help, right? I don't know of too many studies on it. I know of anecdotal, meaning somebody tried it and it changed their life. Mm-hmm. I mean, right, hey. CBD oil, not, not <laughs> the, uh, the more natural product. Right. <laughs> yeah, like actually. inhalation product. Correct. Um, I, what about what about anything with like autoimmune issues? Like do you, if, if the client has autoimmune issues related to their diet, related to a high inflammatory food diet compared with some some genetic anti or autoimmune issues. I mean, there's that was it rheumatoid arthritis mm-hmm. is an autoimmune disease. There is that potential for it to be related to to um, the situation here. Sure. Yeah. Uh, in those instances, one of the most important factors is ensuring a healthy weight without a doubt first and foremost i want to make sure that you are not carrying excess body weight or excess body fat and then how can we make the diet help them out in that sense i have seen individuals respond well to a and this is purely anecdotal from my own experience and if you know me you know that i'm not an anti-carb or anti you know anything i'm not one of those people but I have seen individuals respond well to a lower carbohydrate. And let me be sure to say that it's not just lower carb, more so like lower starch and sugars and those things. And I'll see them respond really well. There's actually, you know, a family member of mine that I helped with her nutrition and she lost a significant amount of weight. She went on a lower carb approach to help her with losing weight. And as she got to a healthier weight, she, she also has uh, RA rheumatoid arthritis. Her rheumatologist took her off of medications and was like, you don't need it. You know, you don't have the symptoms. I wasn't there to hear the conversation. I wish I would have been. But when she sent me that text message, I was all smiles, you know. Um, so that's, there's potential in that. I think that in her case, it was more associated to the you're eating better. You're being more conscious of what you're consuming. You're not over consuming, which we know overeating can be one form of inflammation to the body. And she was losing weight. She responded great. Obesity and and being overweight has more, more ill effects than just what first comes to mind, right? When you think about, about it being unsightly or potentially leading to heart issues down the road, we're starting to see Mm -hmm. more and more and more variables related are caused by being overweight or influenced by being overweight. Arthritis, productivity, it's all, yeah. yeah, yeah. There, there was actually a, I, I just gave a guest lecture, right? I was actually covering for a friend of mine who's a professor at FIU in the nutrition department, and it was an obesity lecture, and I was helping the students also understand if they didn't already know, like you just said, all the comorbidities associated because if you are obese now, you're more likely to develop type two diabetes and insulin resistance, hypertension, stroke, hypercholesterolemia. I mean, the list goes on and on. And then to kind of segue into more exercise-related topic, I recently saw a study that showed that being sedentary is as dangerous and potentially more dangerous than actually having some kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Some kind of like an illness or disease. So it's like, okay, we got to make sure that we're exercising. Mm -hmm. right? So come to Train 8-9 and get your workout in. And at the same time, take care of your nutrition because caloric deficits. I want to touch on something real quick that you have mentioned a couple times already because you keep using the word, and I think that we've all gotten very good at this when it comes to saving our own asses because you never say always or never. 
and you keep using the word, it could help mm -hmm. you. And for the audience to understand that there's responders and there's non-responders. And some people are hyper-responders. When yeah. I was in college, I was a hyper-responder to creatine. I took it and I looked like I was on steroids because I gained so much weight and I got so much stronger. Not to be confused with a first responder, which is what, <laughs> what, I, do, what I just finished doing yesterday. So a, a responder is somebody that responds to the supplementation. Some, some people are responders. Other people are non-responders. Some people are hyper-responders. And then there's a placebo side of it. So you were talking about it when you said CBD oil. There's something to be said. If you believe this product works, if you were sold on it from a credible source and it, you start taking it thinking this dosage of this product will reduce my pain or will make me stronger, so just that alone mm -hmm. plays an important role because who cares if it's actually because of the product, the mechanism of the product, or because it's in your mind. If it's working, it's working. So. This is why sometimes people could take a, a glucosamine conjoint and it doesn't do anything for them. One, obviously, you got to check the dose and all that stuff. But two, um, maybe they're just not responding to that product. If they do respond to that product, is it the placebo effect or is it actually reducing some sort of inflammation and helping them out with that? So um, I thought it was important to say that because some folks could now turn around and maybe buy a product or they've used the product and they say, oh, I've taken creatine. It does nothing for me. Well, you're right. You're probably a non-responder to that uh, individual product. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, the example I always use in that case is myself with coffee. Coffee, I can have a huge cup of coffee, go right to sleep. It does zero as far as energy goes for me. It does absolutely nothing. And then when you hit on the placebo part, it made me think of uh, an old boss of mine uh, who, let's just say, wasn't the most honest individual. Uh, really good at BSing people. And I remember one time this guy told me, because um, we were talking about selling supplements. At the time I was working uh, with the company and he was my boss where we sold supplements. And he said, I don't care if the supplement works or not. I want, to, if I can convince this person that it's good. Mind you, he wasn't like a doctor or anything reputable in that way. Just really good BSer, which I didn't know at the time that he wasn't the most honest person. But anyway, I, I digress. Um, and he said, if I can convince someone that this supplement is helping them, I don't care if it does or if it doesn't. Because me, obviously, when he said that, I'm like, wait, but you know, the science, the studies and whatever. No, no, no. Like, to him, he just wanted to sell. Bottom line. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Now, I understand where he was coming from, but that also helped me see the the BS that's out there. This was a guy that I believed in. And now, you know, fast forward to when he got fired, he turns out he was doing some very shady things in the company or whatever. But I mean, he had a point as far as yeah. the placebo effect. Yeah, which you know? so, no, If someone so thinks they're doing better, right. they are doing better. Is <laughs> who, there something to be said there? Right who am I to tell him to stop? Exactly. <laughs> um, next one here is, shouldn't be that, that long. Shouldn't. <laughs> I tend to go down rabbit holes, man. <laughs> is this is not supplement related, which is good. Is there really a significant difference? Significant difference in nutrients in consuming raw veggies as opposed to cooked veggies? Oh yeah, this one is not a long answer. Uh, huge difference? No. Small difference? Yes. So there are certain vitamins that are lost when heated. Uh, typically the water soluble vitamins, so the B's and C. But I would say what you know, whatever comes down to preference. If you prefer cooking your food, then cook it up and don't worry so much about those minimal micronutrients that are going to be lost. 
If you're taking a good multivitamin, then great. If you're eating plenty of fruits and veggies as it is, then you're fine. Um, but yeah, now to make the question a little bit longer or the answer a little longer, uh, for men, it actually benefits us to heat tomatoes because that activates the lycopene. Lycopene is what could potentially help our prostates. And now when we activate the lycopene in the tomato, it functions a little bit better in our body. So sometimes heating it is, is good. But I wouldn't stress that out too much. Yeah, that's not that's not going to make or break your diet. It's no. going to more be how many fruits and vegetables are you eating. Yep. You know, some cooking styles might be better at nutrient retention than others. I've always read and kind of it makes sense to me conceptually that if you're boiling your vegetables in a in a liquid and you're not consuming the liquid, that liquid's going to carry away a lot of the benefits. But at the end of the day, if you're still eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, you're fine. It doesn't matter <laughs> if you're losing some of that, you know, some of those phytonutrients that were in the kale that you just, you just boiled. Exactly. Hey. Now, some stuff should be cooked if we're worried about maybe kidney stones, like all on, oh, yeah. on the kale topic, you know, cooking or sauteing kale or spinach will cause some of those those calcites to break down a little bit, I believe, making, you know, lowering that risk of, of kidney stones. But it's rather minimal. If if you're just having kale or, or spinach once or twice a week, it's it's not going to make a difference. Yeah, for sure. And Rob is growing a beautiful veggie garden I am, yes. in his backyard nice. that he posts about a constantly. Mm -hmm. So we could go there and get our veggies for free. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Not GMO veggies. Donation, <laughs> donations accepted. <laughs> All right. Now, probably one of our favorite questions. I love this one. What do I take to get huge? <laughs> well, uh, creatine is definitely going to be one supplement that could help um, weight gainers. You know, honestly, to get huge, it's really a matter of being able to consume enough food and enough nutrients. If you have access, I'm not, you know, necessarily recommending that people do this, but just answering the question in a very black and white manner. If you have access to some kind of appetite stimulant, then, hey, taking that app because eating, as I'm sure you can vouch for, eating five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand calories is not easy. It's a job. Yeah. What would be an appetite stimulant? Uh, well, in many cases, marijuana. Um, so now, again, I'm not saying for people to do that, but that would be one way. There are also medications, right? I know some people can get their hands on medications in some way, shape, or form uh, that are actually uh, marijuana-derived medications to help. Usually it's for like cancer patients or something like that to help stimulate their appetite. But if you are someone that really wants to get that appetite going, you know, and maybe even foods that you, uh, that you, you think you have or that you know that you have this preference for, eating more of those these are little things you know it's a lot easier to overeat oreos at 3 a.m when you're oh, trying man. to gain weight 100%. than it is to overeat celery amen to that or overeat steak i mean right. you can only eat so much steak yeah it's not that's not going to be your answer you're looking for calorically dense foods yeah right and if we go down the hormone route a little bit talk about what we have to get our hormones to put us in a position to grow easiest way there is illegal steroids so oh, yeah. steroids will make you huge steroids are not legal Definitely. so don't go that route yeah, but yeah they work that's why they're banned there's also a lot of negative health effects with it mm -hmm. but we can take that concept of what do steroids do they put our body in hormonally in a position to repair better and recover better and grow more what is a growth hormone insulin's a growth hormone how can we get insulin up 
eating a lot of processed crappy carbohydrates. Yeah. Right. So if you eat a high sugar diet, you're going to get big as well. But now if you pair that with an activity, you're going to get big and it's going to generally be fat mass. So we can see how do you take to get huge if we're talking about athletically built huge. It's a little bit different, but if we're just saying huge, you start eating a lot of sugar and processed carbohydrates, that's going to raise your insulin levels. That's going to put your body in that position to want to get huge. Mass gain, think about a bodybuilder, they take insulin shots, but then they do a lot of weightlifting. Yeah. They They do a lot of resistance training to build up the muscle mass. They're putting on, I would love to see... A, a bodybuilder potentially taking insulin shots and any other illegal hormones that they're doing mm-hmm. when they put on weight in mass building season how much of that is fat mass versus how much of that is muscle mass because then we know that they're going to shred it back down but what's the ratio there would be interesting but they're saying hey if you're going to get big you're probably going to put on some fat as well mm-hmm. if you're putting on strictly lean mass that's going to be a very very slow process but it will be very metabolically healthy for you to try to go that route right. instead of just ballooning up to balloon back down. Well, yeah. And, and you know, I've seen this in individuals that were heavy into some kind of steroids or, you know, some kind of illegal substance. And people think that just taking these things works the magic. No, you got to take that and eat like an animal still and train like an animal still and try to keep consistent with that, right? Kind of back to your point, if you're able to do it in a much more controlled, legal manner, right? The the results might be much longer. You might be able to achieve longevity as opposed to the guy that was training really hard, you know, was on the sauce, looked great, whatever. Ronnie Coleman. <laughs> Ronnie Coleman. And then fast forward to them later on in life and they're they're huge they're obese in ronnie coleman's case he's not he actually still he's still yeah, yeah, in great good. shape um but what they did do is they sacrificed health for size 100%. right yep if, if your goals are huge in the sense that we're talking about you know bodybuilder huge offensive lineman huge offensive lineman defensive lineman the case of metabolic syndrome in professional athletes is massive when you're just looking at o-line and d-line they're not they might be athletic but they're not metabolically healthy some are yep. some are now we're seeing the, the freaks that are oh yeah but yeah. you still have that concept of the you know the, the Leon Lett kind of D lineman that is not metabolically healthy. They've mm-hmm. sacrificed their health for a million, multi million dollar paycheck, sure. but also yeah. for their size. And you have to keep that in, in mind that true true mass gain is is going to be difficult and might be unhealthy. Yeah, agreed. All right. Anything to add, Mike, from your I, your I, I mass a, gaining I, I'm careers? I'm trying not to go down the rabbit hole here, but that's exactly my sentiments. Is that even now at this age, still going on my mass gaining uh, regimens? Uh, being six three two fifteen, I still look lean. I still look very thin, and I I look better and I feel much stronger at that two twenty two twenty five range. I understand that I'm jeopardizing. A little bit of my health, and definitely aesthetic wise, when I'm gaining weight, I lose my abs. It's just comes with the territory and i typically try to progressively over time increase my caloric intake from 2900 to about 3500 because i know that i'll put on some weight hopefully notice how you just said caloric intake and not just protein right it's about more so about calories than, than protein correct and it's exactly to your point is i realize that i need to start kind of teetering on that fine line of this is um a food that i would um not normally eat in order for me to have those calories 
call it um, cereal, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I enjoy my cereals and I eat a lot more of it when I'm actually trying to gain weight, understanding that uh, I probably wouldn't be doing this during my lean phase, if I will, or if I'm competing in some sort of competition that I want to be a little bit lighter for. Um, but going back to my point is, in order to get huge, I think the first thing you need to look is caloric intake and then think about the supplementation on the side. Creatine, I said it earlier, the one, when I want to start gaining weight, boom, I started my creatine. I do my protein powders. I used to do my weight gaining powders. The Heavyweight Gainer 900 is something that I lived Russian off. Russian Bear 5000. As much as you can get in college, it was loaded with sugar and carbohydrates yeah. and just a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but it was all about the calories. I did. Uh, I, I went from 7,000 calories when I was... 22 years old now I'm about 3,000 calories and if I don't pay attention to my diet I'm the of the opposite people hate me if I don't pay attention to my calorie intake I lose weight Same. because I eat quote-unquote so healthy that mm -hmm. it's not very caloric dense yeah. that I'll lose weight and I'll end up sitting around 205 so I actually got to work in order to stay yep. 220 if you will um it's hard for, it's hard for me to stay above like to, to keep from losing weight right it's, it's difficult it's, and even still working out lifting heavy right it, it's not easy but mm -hmm. I, I eat a very satious diet with my high fat diet with mm -hmm. my coffee i do coffee about three or four cups before 1 p.m and those two things decrease my appetite you were talking about it earlier and marinol is one of the drugs that they yep. gave my mom when she had parkinson's to yeah. increase her appetite um, which I think is a derivative of, of marijuana, is, yeah. and but just didn't get her high. So it, it, I have to completely focus the same way that somebody trying to lose weight has to focus on their diet in order to drop their calories. I have to focus to keep my calories up um, in order to gain that weight. So yes, uh, I agree with you, heavyweight gainers. If you're trying to get huge, and we're just talking mass, yeah. it doesn't. I don't which care. If, we can return on a later date and talk <laughs> about healthy weight gain. Right. That's correct. A good topic. Yeah. Very good topic. Um, but I would say. The first and foremost is calories. Second, uh, creatine, protein. Then coming down to my protein and how many, you know, because mm -hmm. now you're going to be gaining weight, so you might need to increase your protein um, uh, intake, uh, daily protein intake. And then it comes down to another factor also comes down to, to sleep, which I don't want to get into oh, that, yeah. but, but resting mm -hmm. and taking those days off. So, um, yeah, I, this is definitely another podcast. Yes. That we <laughs> so, of it. moving on. I'll start, I'm actually going to start with this one because I'm going to take it down a different route. And then I know Eric and Mike, you guys will follow up with more of the general population. Top five supplements that work if there is even that many. So supplements mm. that work. Okay. The first ones that I wrote down, coming from a, a, a sports performance side of things too, we have alcohol. Alcohol is a supplement, an ergogenic aid that will improve your exercise performance or your performance in certain events. I'm looking at archery as an Olympic sport, right? Some track and field people will have, before their race, will have a, some alcohol illegally, you know, because it is a, a an illegal ergogenic aid to have alcohol levels above a certain um, level for Olympic sports mm -hmm. because it will help calm you down, helps calm the nerves, will slow your heart rate a little bit, especially for your archery people, which on that, you know, on, on the, the archery or the shooting point of view, beta blockers, right? So beta blockers are what you give people who have high blood pressure because it slows their heart rate down. That is an illegal medication or illegal supplement for Olympic sports because it works. Cocaine, right? As a stimulant. Illegal? Absolutely. But a supplement that works that can improve sport performance? Yeah, we know those stories of baseball players in the 80s and 90s, right? We're aware of that. 
Cyclists, too. Cyclists Cyclist, back in yeah, the day. Absolutely. Adderall, a very, very common supplement in MLB right now is Adderall, especially for pitchers because they have to stay focused, rock on focused for three hours. For so long. Right? So Adderall and other stimulants. You didn't, you didn't spit out the word illegal there. It is. It is illegal. It is illegal. So, I believe so. I believe okay. so. All right. So MLB player, if they're prescribed that, are they? do you know this? I are don't they know. able to get, get away with I it? I don't know. Okay. I think it, it would have to get through, because with some of my NFL guys, it has to go through a series of approval. Mm-hmm. The NFL doctor and, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, obviously, let's say what I'm thinking of right now is more along the lines of like a, a testosterone enhancer with, let's say, you know, any NFL guys that I worked with in the past. And not that they were very low, but maybe to get it up naturally. But there was nothing that I could give them. I wasn't going to tell them, hey, look, take DHEA that could potentially raise that. And also DHEA is on the banned substance list in the NFL. Um but yeah, it would have to go through some kind of like medical approval yep. for them to be put on it, if at all. Um, and then to round out my quick list here, uh, now stuff that works, caffeine is a very, very effective supplement. Sup- we talk we talk about it as a essential part of our lives, except for except for Eric who says he doesn't necessarily need <laughs> it, which is very good of you. But caffeine will work as an appetite suppressor will work as a stimulant, but also for endurance performance, we see tremendous benefits of it associated with glycogen sparing and decrease in RPE, so you are able to spare your glycogen for later in that race, so you're going to be able to use your more metabolically active energy sources later, and the race will not seem as difficult, which will allow you to push on a little bit if you supplement quote, supplement with caffeine for that race. That's why a lot of the gels that you get, those goo gels, are now paired with caffeine. And then to turn it over to you guys, creatine is a supplement that works most of the time right so five supplements that work do we have five besides all those <laughs> random one-off illegals what i mentioned i was gonna say key point here being illegal i mean except obviously for the alcohol and stuff but you brought up some very good points that i don't think people even think of uh, when it comes to sports performance of like can these actual products or medications help me when it comes to that you know i um the alcohol i've never even thought of track athletes taking a swig of some alcohol before they actually went to race. But I can totally see how that calms the nerves, mm-hmm. puts them more in a better place, obviously without the, the uh, impairment, if you will, to be able to stay in their lanes. Um, it's something that probably in that dark world of sports is very known, but not in the, the lay public fitness world. If you want to know supplements that are potentially illegal, at least for, for organized sport that work, just look at the Olympics list of banned supplements. Well, and okay. that will be a list of all the ones that work. Some right. of them might be perfectly legal, like caffeine. It's just a certain level that you can't go over. Like beta blockers are legal. You just can't use them for sport performance. Exactly. But right. when we're talking about sport performance, there is a huge amount of stuff that works. Right. They just are probably banned by the organization. Yeah, yeah and, and this person didn't even get into the – they didn't get into the, the actual – what the goal is because they just wrote top five supplements that work that didn't say works for what type yeah. of thing so sports creatine is the one only because it's been uh, researched hundreds if not thousands of times to show the efficacy behind it and it's the one that i would always push um what were you at with this eric it's uh it's conditional mm-hmm. so my list is kind of like what's your goal right. and of course your medical health background um but my quick list would be creatine without a doubt Caffeine would also be on that list. 
I mean, this is assuming that it's for some kind of sports performance. Uh, creatine, caffeine, beta alanine would also be on that list as well. A protein powder supplementation uh, and vitamin D. Okay. Those would be my my five that I would include on the list. And again, they're conditional because in my general supplements, I'm like, you know what, take omega-3, maybe a good multivitamin, uh, vitamin D without a doubt, like, it really depends who's asking. Assuming it's for that, right. it's going to be those those five. The creatine, right. caffeine, beta-alanine, uh, protein powder supplementation, and vitamin D. Yeah, I think it would be irresponsible if we didn't say that there's always follow-up questions to these types of questions. Yep. A lot of this, we're just assuming what road they're going down, and you know, we're doing the best that we can to answer these questions. Which is a perfect transition into the next question here, which is, do I really need supplements if I eat healthy whole foods? My goal is to stay functionally fit. So for that individual, I would say yes. If your goal is to stay functionally fit, remember that supplements supplements are supplemental to your diet. Food first. First and foremost, what's up with your diet and what are your goals? So supplements, they have their time and place. They're supplemental to the diet. They're not called replacements. They're not called instead ofs. They're called supplements for a reason. So... One thing I also like to focus on is instead of just being okay or, you know, within normal limits or something along those lines, why not go for optimal? Why be good when you could be great? And supplements help with that, you know? Uh, If that's what they're saying, they said to be physically fit, something along those lines? Uh, My goal is to stay functionally fit. Functionally fit. So someone that asked me that, I would say, yeah, Uh, I would say that, I would say, supplements would benefit you you don't need them nobody ever technically needs supplements uh, but you know the caveat to that is well is there a deficiency because if you're vitamin d deficient take vitamin d without a doubt Uh, again back to the methylated b complexes and those things need it no would it benefit you yes so i would say for your goal you probably need it yeah, which if you are really trying to dial in on what functionally fit might be, if you're trying to maximize functionally fit, that would be a good case of going to see a registered dietitian where you will be doing blood work to see if there's anything that even though you might be eating a whole food complete diet that from a macro point of view, not macronutrient, but from a macro point of view checks all the boxes, but there might be something going on with your your particular environment where you're going to need professional you know approach on that and say, hey, you haven't you are on it. your vitamin D is low, even though you seem to be consuming enough vitamin D, getting out into the sun enough, there's still a, a lower level here. We need to do something about that. And something else to think about is RDAs, recommended daily allowances and whatnot. Or, you know, that's what the government suggests that we should take as on a percentage base. Now, think of this. I don't w- trust the w- government. <laughs> when you see these things, as far as the numbers go, in a nutrition facts label, it's going to say based on a 2,000 calorie diet. For a typical human being who, who is a typical human being. Yeah, exactly. So now the RDAs are also designed to prevent deficiencies, not seek optimization or optimization, whatever the word would be. Mm-hmm. I'm like making up words over here. But so we got to ask ourselves that. So it's like, okay, if I'm eating the world's perfect diet in quotation marks, whatever the heck that looks like, you probably still need some kind of supplementation because you more than likely will not reach the optimal amount of vitamin D, A, B, you know, mineral X, Y, Z, whatever. 
no matter how well balanced your your diet is. All right. This is a good one. How do you how do you even start? Start I'm saying healthy diet, I guess. How do you even start a healthy diet or weight loss program? There's no no particular info here, but the question is, how do you even start when you have bad addiction mm-hmm. to carbohydrates? How do you trick the body? Carbohydrates, for, my first question to you guys is, are carbohydrates addictive in nature? Right? Is sugar addictive in nature? So what I've seen, again, based on the studies, is that the, the science is weak in that realm on humans. As far as showing addiction, um, now if even if you look at the definition of addiction, if you really see someone who is addicted to something, we kind of have to ask ourselves, you know, are they really addicted to sugar in this case? What we also come to find is that a lot of these quote unquote addictive foods are not typically just sugar. You don't find people saying, man, you know, I had to have my full tablespoon of raw table sugar and take it down. Generally speaking, it's mixed with something else. So let's say uh, Oreos or donuts, uh, you know, think of like Snickers or Reese's. It's usually sugar and fat, sugar and fat. They're hyper palatable. They taste great. I say, if anything... They're not so much addictive. They just taste really good and we just want more of it, right? It's like if you go on a ride and you enjoy the ride, hey, let me go on the ride because I enjoyed it. I don't have to go on the Hulk in Island of Adventure or whatever park all the time. I'm not addicted to it. I enjoy it just like I enjoy my ice cream. That side note, ice cream is sugar and fat. You know, I might enjoy uh, Oreos and milk, sugar and fat, you know, pizza, that's some kind of a starch, obviously, and fat. Like It's usually a mix of those things. If you do think that you have some kind of an addiction, seek professional help. See a psychologist and a registered dietitian, and ideally they would be able to work together as a team to help you get over this supposed addiction. Now, generally speaking, I don't think that there really is an addiction. I think that there's just a preference for these foods because they taste so good. Now, how do we work with, so now to the question here is, is how do we work with that individual who has a bad preference for carbohydrates? Their, their question, their second question is how do you trick the body? Is there a way to trick the body or is this, is this going to be, you know, working slowly and finally producing the, the David sculpture? So it would be, it would depend on the individual and their willingness to eliminate certain foods because it's, it's interesting to see, how how these quote unquote bad foods or you know sugary foods how people respond to them i've had people completely cut them out and they because they were able to do it right um which side note we can do anything we put our mind to but that's another thing so they were able to come off of it and it was like i don't know 30 days or something along those lines and they were like my cravings are gone this, this, and that, whatever. I feel amazing. Then you have people that might not respond very well to that. If you take it away from me, I'm going to want it more. Okay, so the psychology there, let me not completely eliminate this. Let me 
not make them feel helpless in this sense where you know you can still have this food that you enjoy but have it in smaller amounts so to this person it depends what category you fall under can i do the all or nothing route or would i work better with the having a little bit and then having some kind of self-restraint and then you also have an immense amount of low sugar or low carb because this person mentioned carb uh products now with the the keto culture and all of these things you have the halo top ice cream that's not very high in sugar let's just say it has some yeah sure um you even have the non-caloric sweeteners you have the stevias and the splendas and all of that which yes they're not 100 natural they're chemical and they're you know they're packaged and all this stuff but what's your goal are you addicted to coke try having a diet coke oh i don't like diet coke well then we're gonna have to find another solution maybe you're not drinking enough water maybe you're not eating enough throughout the day maybe you're not getting enough protein like there's so many ways that we could answer this question that it really depends on the person i would tell them try having a, a diet or a sugar-free thing first to see how your body responds to that and then of course moderation with all that i, I i'm just going to add to this and i think a lot of this and, and i'm not i'm not um, downplaying any of the science behind this but i think a lot of this comes down to the psyche side of it and you spoke about it earlier maybe maybe they need to work with a psychiatrist psychologist or psychiatrist mm-hmm. work in conjunction with a coach or with a trainer but when this gets presented to me as one of my personal clients or somebody um that's a member of my gym i always lean towards what you just said about willpower and us being stronger than what we actually are and just not tapping into that yeah um i actually know the person that that asked this question here and this is a person that i'm kind of close to and i would actually turn around and be extremely hard on these people it's just the way that i would coach and start being more of a motivational mentor Mm -hmm. than um a fitness slash nutrition coach if you will i would encourage them uh to seek out motivation i would probably be on top of them uh, every day with the texts and the you can do this and all that stuff and yeah some sometimes i'm harsh and i'm a little bit more brutally harsh than i want to be but you measure that on uh, depending on the person i assume correct on, on what they respond to some people don't like mm-hmm. you know my harsh personality when it comes to coaching them yep. if you will some people do respond well to that and they almost need that um but a lot of this is psychological and sometimes it's difficult for i would just say uh, people like us that i believe that we have a lot of willpower uh, to understand or comprehend what somebody's going through when they say i just can't do this and not understanding that some people don't have the willpower or the drive to succeed that we have and sometimes there's a, there's a, a bridge to close the gap on this is how i could coach in order for you to see your results so the the tricking the body that physiologically becomes experimental i think they need to work on themselves on the mental aspect of it first and you might need a coach or a motivational mentor in order to get you past that. Um, but it's something that, that I would tell this person that maybe they need to take a step back and look at their life as a whole and say, this is something that I'm leaning on because I'm just not happy with the way that I look. Mm. But I am going to come up with a thousand excuses why I look like this. I'm addicted to carbs. And yeah. that's the end goal. No, I can't because I'm addicted to carbs. Where it's a, maybe a lot deeper than that. Maybe it's a self-esteem issue or you know background. So I'm diving into a world that I'm not very uh, knowledgeable in because it's, it's the psyche side of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this person just needs a little bit more of a push. Obviously, everything going into uh, taking into consideration. One 
doing blood work like you say that you do and counting, looking at their, uh, maybe doing a three-day food log and saying, hey, listen, yeah. you're overeating by a thousand calories. So let's- Or not just, eating enough. Or, or not eating enough. Exactly. So there's, there's steps that need to take place. And I'll give you an example. Uh, 10 years ago or 12 years ago, when I first started the fire department, and I realized how long these days are going to be, I became addicted to coffee. That's when I found my love for coffee. And I was drinking my coffee with six Splendas. Then I started falling into the nutrition side of this. And I realized, eh, damn, you know, at best, I might not just want to be having six Splendas three times a day. Oh, so let's start reducing this. So I slowly went from six to five to four to three to two to one to nothing. Now I drink my coffee completely black. And... 10 years ago, I would tell you, absolutely not. It's just too bitter. Now, if you put just half a teaspoon of sugar in this or maybe some heavy cream, it's too sweet for me. Mm -hmm. So I've conditioned my palate the way that I think and everything that happens to me neurologically. When I drink coffee with anything other than it just being black coffee, I just can't tolerate it. So there's steps that you could take in order to scale up or scale down to get you to the point that you want to be. And that's, I think, where a lot of these folks, and she is not in the fitness world, so they struggle with this. They got a busy lifestyle. She's the mother of twins. So her focus isn't on fitness and nutrition. She just knows that she's quote unquote addicted to carbs. So these, a lot of these people need coaches. They need mm -hmm. either a personal coach that, or, or they need to be a part of a gym that has group coaching, kind of lead them down the right path and maybe just give them some education, which is part of the reason that we do this podcast. Yeah. Which clinically, I think it would be really interesting to see where this research regarding extended fasting goes on quote, tricking the body. Mm -hmm. Not going to be appropriate for everyone, might not work for a lot of people, might not end up going somewhere, but we do see that these extended fast periods are able to reduce insulin sensitivity. We're talking three, four, five, six, seven days extended fast or yeah, ridiculously yeah. long period of time. Bless them, man. You know, mainly done, mainly done with, with, with rats or C. elegans, which is a worm that we do studies on. Um, but if there's anything to trick the body right now, that's where the research is going. Will it be successful? I think is is exciting to see. Yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath, but um, I would say that and and keto also. Keto yeah. people which, go on keto and it's like, oh, my cravings are gone. Right. Which wow. keto keto is essentially a way of eating that mimics fasting yeah. from mm -hmm. a insulin point of view. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. All right, so I hit pause on this. Thank you all for joining Mike, Rob, and myself on that pretty insightful Q&A style recording. Be on the lookout for part two. It'll be coming soon. And uh, maybe in the new year. Just be on the lookout. Catch you soon. Peace and much love to you.